Amen. Good morning, brothers and sisters. How are you doing? Am I on? Can y'all hear me okay? Well, did you have a good Christmas? you got to love Christmas time. The, the one day a year that children really love their cardboard boxes. I mean, you know what I'm talking about there. Um, love Christmas time. We had, we had a very enjoyable time. I'll tell you about one thing in a minute. If you want to go ahead and turn... We're we'll going to be talking about Jesus feeding the 5,000. Uh, John chapter 6, if you want to go ahead and turn there. And also, if you want to bookmark Matthew chapter 6, that will get you started. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the joy of getting to hear what you're doing in other parts of the world. Thank you for the faithfulness of your saints. But God, even when we fail, we thank you, which is a lot. We thank you for your faithfulness. It's you who deserves to be honored and hallowed and lifted up and worshipped and adored. And Father, we're, we're barely scratching the surface of the beauty of who you are. And I pray that this morning, as we open your word, that you would, you would pierce hearts and minds that you would free up my thoughts and tongue to speak. But behind all that, and in all that, your Holy Spirit will move in our hearts and minds to impress upon us your life-changing Word, your glorifying Word. And that's our prayer this morning. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So one of the things that, that um, my, my two-year-old... Caleb got for Christmas was one of these leaf, I was going to bring it this morning as a prop, but uh, he might get mad at me if I take it away from him, but it's a little leaf blowing uh, bubble machine. Uh, so it, it doesn't actually blow leaves, but it's a, it's a leaf blower that blows bubbles. And man, you talk about a hit. You know, sometimes you get presents and they're a dud. Well, um, Grandma and Pop nailed it on this one because he went wild over this bubble machine. He was in such awe and wonder at bubbles. Now, how many of you played with bubbles growing up, adults? Okay, bubbles were nice. Can you remember back to when bubbles amazed you? I, don't, I mean, really, some of you are like, I, they still amaze me. Well, great. For, the re for, for most of us that, that you know, they're kind of just common now. And they're, you know, can you think back to when you were a child? I was thinking back to this. I, re I remember playing in my front yard with my brothers and blowing bubbles. Now, we didn't have these fancy bubble-blowing machines that they have now. But remember that feeling. Just take a second. Remember that feeling of you chasing bubbles and just being astounded, being amazed, being in awe and wonder. I think that's one of the, one of the things that, that um, on the good side of gift-giving, this whole gift-giving thing that we have at Christmas, is that, that we as adults, we, we like to see our kids have that awe and wonder, right? That's part of the joy of giving gifts. You want to see the thankfulness. You want to see somebody get excited. And that's part of it. And my little two-year-old was definitely excited about these bubbles. He was go outside and we, we put the little bottle in and the bottle never runs out. I don't know how these, you know, bubble bottles last so long, but it never ran out. 
And he would put it up in the air and the wind was blowing it and all the kids were chasing him. And he was in wonder. I think one of the things that we run into so often when we come to Scripture or we come to church is we have lost a sense of wonder. And that's what we need to pray for today. I think when we come to this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, even though it's so wonderful and so amazing, we come at it with, with dull eyes and dull hearts. And so my challenge for you today is to feel that wonder Maybe that wonder that you had as a child. Maybe that wonder that you had when you were first saved. Maybe that wonder that you had at Christmas time, that joy that you felt as you were watching uh, your family open gifts and you were spending time with one another. Come at it this morning as we're here worshiping the Lord together. Come at this story seeking to be in amazement at what Christ does. Let's read it together. Verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves. That was about the poorest loaf of bread you could get. Five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down about five thousand in number jesus then took the loaves and when he had given thanks he distributed them to those who were seated so also the fish as much as they wanted and when they had eaten their fill he told his disciples gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten when the people saw the sign that he had done they said this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world who is to come into the world Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When we talk about, we talk about wonder and amazement, I want you just to picture yourself there, and I want, you to picture, I want you to picture your senses just soaking this miracle in. This is food that he is creating. And you're sitting among thousands and you're... You're smelling the food with your nose. You're touching it with your hands. You're tasting it. You're hearing people eat. You're seeing what He is doing. This is a powerful miracle. To lay some groundwork, some other groundwork, it's the only miracle reported by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in their biographies of Jesus. It is a uniquely creative miracle. Jesus actually makes food that is not there. Now he uses the food he's given. He uses that means there, but he is making new food. Many of Jesus' miracles were uh, to restore or to revive or to fix something. But here you have a uniquely creative miracle. He creates. And the closest thing you have to is the one we saw in John 2 where he turns water into wine. He made food material. 
that did not exist before. Another thing that is unique about this miracle is how public it was. Many of Jesus' miracles were private or among very small groups, or he would say to them, tell no one what has happened here. And there was a strategy, a strategy to that. But here it is before thousands of people, very likely more than 5,000. The 5,000 only refers to the men. And so it's possible, very possible, that there were children and mothers uh, present. And so it could have possibly been 10, 20,000 even. This morning, there are three answers to three problems that I'd like to examine in relation to this text. The first is the problem of provision. Provision, similar to the word provide, it has to do with meeting a need beforehand. It has to do with being ready. It has to, to do with making sure that you have what you need. Many of you, you think of yourself as a provider for your family. Well, there was a problem of provision here. Now, a couple of things we need to clear up. We find out from the other gospel writers that it was getting late, and because the great number of people were in a difficult, a desolate place, the disciples urged Jesus to send them away into the surrounding towns to get food. And so they weren't in danger of starvation, as some would say. It's not like they were out here for two weeks and they were going to die if they didn't get food. This was just them missing a meal. But Jesus does not send them away. The disciples were concerned about them getting the material needs that they thought they needed. But Jesus was concerned with something else. What he had in store for them was more important. So he let them stay. Another way to put it is this. Jesus let them stay at the service rather than sending them to get supper. Now, a brief little note to kind of step on a few toes, and my own included. We need to take this lesson to heart that it's a blessing to be able to gather together and worship God. And I know we get hungry, but I think sometimes we have scheduled the Holy Spirit completely out of our gatherings and our times together because we're concerned about our bellies. And yes, we're hungry, the kids are hungry, kids need naps, and I understand all of that, believe me. But we also need to be hungry for God. And so we need to, to seek to find that balance. We need to seek to, to let that hunger for God take precedent in our lives. Jesus would not send them away. He wanted them to stay. But because he wanted them to, say, to stay, a need was created. A problem was created. The problem of provision. And Jesus wanted to provide for them because they had no food. And he was about to provide for them in a way that went beyond their imagination. In a way that would have done way more than just fill their stomachs if they had eyes to see. So he takes the loaves of fish, he blesses it, he gives thanks, and then he multiplies it for the crowd. And it says that not only did he multiply it for them, he multiplied it to where they were all satisfied. They had as much as they wanted. What a great picture of God's grace for us. God is, is not just giving us the pennies. He's not just giving us the crumbs. Our God is giving us abundant life, and there's a great illustration there of that. And when they were finished, he goes on to provide extra. The disciples gathered in 12 baskets, the 12 disciples 
the twelve apostles gathered in twelve baskets the extras so that there would be nothing wasted. And what Jesus is doing here is he's giving them a clear illustration that he would continue to provide for them. He would abundantly and graciously provide for all of their needs. And Jesus is the answer for our provision. Jesus is the answer for the problem of provision. He is all we need. Now, most of us in this room, we don't have to worry about our meals. Honestly. Maybe some of us do. But most of us don't have to worry about our meals. And so for some of us, it's a little bit out of touch for us to think of the worry of this type of provision. But there's a host of other things that plague our culture, our society, our families, even churches. America has a real problem with anxiety and worry. Sometimes we just create problems to worry about. We're full of anxiety and worry. If you go out and you talk to people in the street, we, we use that word stress. All the time. And what we need to understand is that the problem of anxiety and worry, the first place we need to look is Jesus Christ. Because a lot of that has to do with our thinking. As they say, our stinking thinking. And it has to do with our trust level. And it has to do with our faith in Christ. And we should look to the Word of God and look to Jesus for the ultimate answers. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, if you want to flip over there and read it. I think it's very important that we read this. When we're talking about God providing, Jesus providing for us, we have to be careful looking to other saviors. In verse 25, of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus speaking says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We get stressed out and worried over so many things. And my point is that we need to go to Christ first. And I want to make this distinction clear. There's a difference in attempting to use God to provide for what we think our needs are and trusting God in the role of our provider. Does that make sense? There's a difference in using God or attempting to use God to provide the needs that we think we need. So we use God 
as an ATM machine, machine. We use God as a Santa Claus. We use God as a genie in the bottle. We use God to get to what we think we need, what we think we need provided for us. There's a difference in that and biblical Christianity, which puts God in the role of our ultimate provider. And we listen to Him, and we let Him determine what our needs are. We let Him determine what He wants to provide us, and we trust Him. There's a huge, huge difference. Sometimes, we think God should provide for us this way. He throws us a curveball. And His provision doesn't look anything like what we thought. It doesn't look like the easy life that we planned on. It doesn't look like cancer or a knee replacement or a lost job or a difficult relationship. It doesn't look like those things. But through them all, God is working to provide for us. All things work together for the good of them that know God and are called according to His purpose. And I say this, I want to make this distinction clear because of the second problem. The second problem that we see in this situation of feeding the multitude is the problem of perception. The problem of provision, we have the problem of perception. What is seen? What is believed? Each of the four records of this story report the story accurately, but they also emphasize different points. This is a huge, this is a huge proof for the validity of the Bible. You can't make this up. Each of these guys, they wrote... They wrote Slightly different aspects of this story, but it all lines up perfectly, and it's proof that, that they're not just duplicating one another, that they have a point in what they are saying. And John is unique in a number of different ways. One, in pointing out the unbelief of Philip and Andrew and the wrong desire of this crowd. You can look back in, in your text, John 6. Jesus said to Philip in verse 6, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test them, for he knew... He, he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough to feed each of them a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? If you want to sum up the problems that each of these guys is having, Philip is saying, we don't have enough money. And Andrew's saying, we don't have enough stuff. We don't have enough material. We don't have enough food. One says we don't have enough money. That says we don't have enough resources. Can you hear yourself in those excuses? From time to time, oh, we can't do that. We can't dream big. We've got we to we remain. We've got to be really wise. And yes, we do have to be wise. But in the wisdom of God. And so Philip and Andrew, both they failed the test. And don't we do the same things at times? All they needed was Jesus. He had it under control. He had it under control, but they missed it. Now I want to say this. We have to be, aware, we have to be careful about condemning their lack of faith in Jesus because we are tempted to do the same thing each and every day. We have the same weaknesses within us. The same sinful tendencies. The same short-sightedness. The nation of Israel, we studied in Sunday school this morning, the nation of Israel... Centuries earlier, were brought out of slavery by God. They witnessed the great plagues upon the Egyptians. They saw Him split the Red Sea and rescued them. And He did all these miraculous, amazing things. They saw a pillar of fire and they saw clouds with His glory. They saw these things. And yet when they get to the wilderness, they doubt Him. And they doubt His provision. 
And when they get ready to go into the land of Canaan, they doubt that he can bring them victory. We have the same problems. Here, Jesus has this great crowd and they are in a wilderness place. And again, faith and perception are challenged and they get it wrong. And you and I, when we feel that our back is against the wall, we're tempted to doubt too. Maybe we trust God one, two, three, four, five times with different things. But then that sixth time, we fall short and we fail. And we're tempted to give in to an evil heart of unbelief. And it is evil to have a heart of unbelief because a heart of unbelief says that God isn't God. Right? When I doubt God, I'm saying something about God. That's why it's not neutral. We are called to believe God and to trust God and who He says He is in His character. But here's the great news. Here's the great news. The great news is that Philip and Andrew, they belong to Jesus. They were chosen by Him. And Jesus wasn't going to cast them out. He wasn't going to give up on them because they had a moment of failure. He continued to disciple them, to train them, to love them, and to make a difference in their lives. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, it's the same for you. You belong to Him. And when you are faithless, He is faithful. He helps you. He gives you His grace. And His desire is to train you to cultivate that relationship of daily prayer and daily trust toward Him. Not to simply get your problems answered and my problems answered, but for Him to sit on the throne of our lives as our answer. As our answer. So not only did Philip and Andrew get it wrong, the crowd did not perceive his identity correctly. In verse 2, it says that they followed him because they saw him heal the physical diseases. And even after he worked this mighty miracle, they wanted to take him and make him king by force. And this was wrong. This is why Jesus avoided them. It revealed that they sadly saw Jesus as some kind of wonderful magician. Maybe even somebody sent by God. Maybe somebody that could be an earthly king, but, but they wanted what they wanted out of it. They wanted to use Him. Jesus could give them their independence, they thought. He could heal them of their diseases. He could even feed them. Wow, what an asset this guy would be as king. This is the guy we need to get into office. But did they see His divine glory? No, they didn't. They wanted to use Him. Now, they rightly concluded that he was the prophet Moses spoke of. Remember, they said, this is surely he, the prophet, who is to come into the world. And they're getting that from Deuteronomy 18, which says this. Moses wrote, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Jesus was this prophet. And so they rightly understood his role, but they did not perceive his nature. They did not see that he was God the Son, that he was divine. 
and they accepted him as one who would make them bread, or pray for God to give them bread, but they would not accept him, as we're going to see shortly right after this, they would not accept him as the bread of life. So rather than worshiping and humbly being led, they wanted to take him by force and make him king. They wanted to use him. Along with this, many, just a few comments about our modern, uh, what we're dealing with today, and this is nothing new, but many today outside of Christianity, they only see Jesus as a good person. Maybe, they, maybe they, they're, not, they're not Christians, but they're willing to say, well, he's a good prophet or he was a good teacher. I can't really disagree with loving people. And so I, I believe Jesus existed and he was, a, he was just a good teacher. And of course, I've, I've spoken about this before, and this is n- nothing original with, with me at all, but that can't be. Jesus said he was God. And so either he's a great liar for leading so many millions of people astray, or he's a lunatic and he's crazy for thinking he was God, or he's Lord. And it's absolutely true. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. But he can't be anything else. And so those outside of Christianity today, they want to look at him as a good teacher or a beautiful example. And we have a duty to explain why that can't be the case. That all roads go through Jesus. They either have to reject him or they have to accept him. Sadly, and this is what kind of burns me up more, is that many who claim Christianity and Christ and claim to be in the church, have perceived him wrong as well. They may observe a form of worship. They may follow Jesus as an example of how to live. But they and their preachers, in essence, just say this. They just say, live like Jesus, and you'll be okay. Jesus is just, just our example. But they reject what he says about their sin. They reject his substitute death on the cross for him. They reject that he is God the Son and that he's the only way to the Father. And I've seen so many instances of this lately. I've seen people talk about, talk, preach Christ without talking about sin and without talking about salvation, without talking about the gospel. And I want to tell you something. I will never apologize for pointing out sin our problem of sin, and that Jesus Christ died on the cross as our only way of salvation. I will never apologize for that, and neither should you. This is something that you should be proud of. This is something that should define your life. We do not have a simply a Christ is our example form of Christianity where if we just do good things and love people, we'll end up in heaven. No, we believe that we are sinners deserving the judgment of God, but that Jesus loved us and came and died on a cross to set us free from that. That is the core message that we believe. And so let us never apologize for that. Jesus said in John 14, 6, which we'll get to in a few months, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father but by me. Those aren't my words, those are His words. And that brings us to the last problem that is to be answered, and that's the problem of the point. What is the point of this miracle that we're looking at right here? What is John's point in how he describes it to us? It's interesting to read each of these four accounts of this miracle. Each author includes or ignores different elements of the story. Matthew mentions Jesus' compassion on the crowd, his desire to heal them. Mark mentions his compassion because they appeared like sheep without a shepherd. Luke mentions that Jesus spoke to them about the kingdom of God. John mentions many things for different reasons, but he has one clear point. 
And Adam has already shared this in um, earlier weeks, but it comes from the book of John. John does the, the heavy work for us. He tells us what the point is. But before I get to that, I want to say it's a mistake to come to this passage and do what liberal Christianity has done and say, well, this just teaches us that we should care about the poor. We should feed the hungry. Hey, those are good things. That's not what John is emphasizing here. That's not what Jesus was emphasizing here. Here's what John says. John states his purpose like this in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's desire is to show us that Jesus is not merely our provider, he's not merely a prophet, but he's God. And he's the one that we need. This was not a miracle to merely feed bellies, it was a sign designed to point toward the truth that Jesus is God's Son, that we need Him in our lives. He is the bread of life. And He was provided to us by our Father in heaven. As our musicians come, the message this morning is that Jesus is your provider. But He's also your very provision. And if you don't treat Him like that, if I don't treat Him like that, we're missing God, we're missing the whole thing. If He's just a problem solver, and He's not the answer, if He's not our bread of life, then we've missed it. Maybe you don't have that life of Christ in you this morning. I want you to know that your sin has separated you from God. You will be judged by God. You will be punished by a righteous and holy God for your sin. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on a cross in the place of sinners, taking their punishment so that you and I could be forgiven and embraced by God. That is the good news that we preach and believe. So turn away from your sin. Trust in what the Savior has done for you. And He will give you His life. Just like the bread that He gave to the multitude. Let's pray. If you need to come down front, I'll be on the front row. If you need to come and receive prayer or talk to me about how to know Christ or any other thing, I'll be down front as we pray together. Father, we thank You that You sent Your Son Jesus as our ultimate provision. He is our portion. He is what we need and He is all we need. We thank You that You provided for us the bread of life. As we leave here today, God, as we continue to worship and then we leave, Father, help us to be in awe and wonder at what You've done. Help us to not be dull in heart and mind, but help our hearts to overflow with thankfulness and praise and joy at what You have done and what the Savior has done and what the Spirit has done for us. By Your grace and for Your glory, we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.